the Tom Sumner Program. Old Fashioned Radio for a New Generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, Tom. You know that. Yay, Tom! I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Not an easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, uh, that's a very good question. Uh, Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? Hey, lucky day, Mr. Sumner. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. Hi, this is actor, comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers, uh, I mean, I'm sorry, what's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom, how you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Hi, this is Gretchen Whitmer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Thank you. 
bosom when I cannot see I don't want to fall over the branch of the tree at night, but I said I'm gonna try it, it will be alright. <laughs> Young folks say rap is the music, the music that they want to hear, the music of the day say sometimes they take the jazz, jazz I play, the jazz I play, jazz I play, I said hey! everybody this is the Tom Sumner program and my guest this hour this is going to be a really fun conversation um, she published her first novel before even graduating from college where she was studying economics and she ended up writing uh, interning rather uh, at the onion um, she was uh, let's see um, I think she came from North Carolina but lives in Chicago now and uh, she has a new book out, which is, uh, well, it's been described as Lord of the Flies in Space. <laughs> and it is her first foray into science fiction. And she writes under the name Riley Redgate. She joins me by phone. Good morning, Riley. Welcome to the show. Hi. Thank you so much for having me. You know, before we start talking about sci-fi, which I love, and... Uh, <laughs> Star Wars days coming soon. Um, oh my gosh! <laughs> but the uh, I'm not exactly doing a countdown, but but I did think about it. 
Um, but but Riley, how did you get interested in studying economics, and when you were clearly destined to be a writer? <laughs> well, I find economics pretty interesting because um, you know, as a social science, it sort of has this collision between people's individualized stories and kind of larger systems. Um, I think probably the most like immediately identifiable reason for me studying it is because my sister was interested in it, my older sister, um, and I'm greatly inspired by her in pretty much everything that I do. Um, but, you know, once I took the intro classes and I started thinking about how it's, I, I think it's a discipline that like invites narrative thinking and that invites you to create narratives both on the micro and the macro level. Um, and that appealed to me um, for obvious reasons. Um, so, yeah, there was definitely also an element of, um, you know, I'm going to eventually need to get, like, a real-world job, and for that I need to do something that is more, um, I guess, marketable than um, my kind of artistic interests, which would be writing and music as well. So, um, yeah, that was my kind of logic there. Well, your um, your heritage spans uh, two cultures, Irish and Chinese, and you selected mm-hmm. a nom de plume, which is um, not at all ethnic or even gender-specific, Riley Redgate. Mm-hmm. What made you yeah. decide to go with a name to write under, and, and how did you pick that one? So, um... I came up with the name when I was, I think, maybe 16 and on a writer's forum. Um, and I I definitely wanted to preserve my initials because um, I wanted to have like a little a, a little germ of my my real name, which is Rianoc Robinson. Um, but well, and, about my, and if my you wear thing, monogrammed mm-hmm. clothes, that really helps. <laughs> Yes, absolutely. That's um, that was the primary driver behind this. <laughs> um, no, but um, yeah, my my birth name has a a non pronounced GH in the middle, um, which always tricks people up. I would say the number of people who have correctly pronounced my my real name on first sight uh, outside of the country of Ireland hovers around two, maybe two people ever. Um, so I wanted something that if someone were to see it on a shelf then they would be able to pronounce it right away um i don't know it's asking about it in kind of conjunction with culture is interesting because i'm not going to say that there you know is no part of me that sort of like mourns the fact that um in choosing this pen name i kind of stripped out markers of ethnicity and culture um i don't really feel particularly attached to having a gendered name so that you know is, is fine um but i don't know i always bemoaned my my name growing up i have a chinese middle name as well um and when i was growing up i was like this is so complicated like it makes me feel so kind of different from other people and i think there was kind of a, a part of me in my teenage years when i was choosing the name that felt kind of comforted by the idea that I could blend in that way. Um, 
I, I saw yeah. Barack Obama giving a speech once, and there was someone he wanted to recognize in the crowd who had an unusual name. And he mm-hmm. struggled with the pronunciation, and he and he covered himself by saying, "Wow, you've got a, a weird name like mine." <laughs> and and it and it kind of look up to now. <laughs> well, it it kind of helped diffuse the situation a little bit. But I but I wonder sometimes if that isn't awkward for people when you have names that are mm-hmm. non traditional, for lack of a better phrase, yeah. um, if. If that mm-hmm. little hesitation that somebody goes through, I go through it all the time because I'm terrible with names. And, <laughs> and, you know, so I, I often will ask people ahead of time, you know, how do you pronounce this? Um, right, right. That's, that's, um, that's interesting because very often, um, now, now this is where we make the leap to, to, um, to space and yeah, science yeah. fiction is a lot of women that are writing um, high fantasy fiction and science fiction are choosing uh, nom de plumes, if you will, um, Mm. that seem or can be construed as male. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, that's definitely, like, historically, yeah, there's almost kind of a certain element of, like, heritage in that at this point there are so many women who have done that um well and for a while because they had to because women might not be taken seriously in the genre now you said the magic word historically and that is passing into history which is one of the reasons Mm -hmm. why it it made me curious about why you chose a nom de plume because more more and more women are writing under their given names Mm -hmm. Mm mm-hmm Yeah, I think that's that's true. There's still a little bit of a, uh, if anything, I feel like the um, uh, shortening of names down to initials is becoming a bit of a um, a bit of a <laughs> fantasy real life trope almost, um, where it may be possibly like inspired by uh, J.R.R. Tolkien and um, maybe George R.R. Martin as well, having. Um, Strings of initials, um, and RK. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> NK Jemison as well, um, part of this noble heritage. Um, but yeah, yeah. More with award-winning young adult novelist Riley Redgate straight ahead. Everybody's doing a brand new dance now. Hi, this is Mark Farner, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. Our fellow Americans. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans. And soon, they will be available to everyone. The science is clear. These vaccines will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. They could save your life. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. 
that's the first step to ending the pandemic and moving our country forward. It's up to you. Do you ever feel like you need an attitude adjustment? Are you wishing there was a magic pill or a new app for your mobile device? Why don't you try live local music? Music can make you dance, bring back fond memories, inspire you to be more creative, whether you attend a child's school concert or recital, go to a local symphony concert, visit local bars and restaurants that feature dance music, sing-along piano, or jazz and blues. Music could be just what you're looking for. Supporting live local music is more than a way to support your local artists and economy. It's a great way to improve your own quality of life. Support live local music. This message is brought to you from the Tom Attorney General stuff? Listen, I have a legal question. What is it, Mom? I just got a call from the water company. Apparently, your father has not been paying the bill. I guess they're going to turn the water off because we owe more than $1,000 now. Can you believe it? Actually, I can't. So, listen... We just have to send them $200 in Edible Arrangements gift cards, and that will keep the water on. Now, here's the legal question. What is the website for Edible Arrangements? Mom, it's an imposter scam. Imposter scam? Is that .com or .edu? No, the call was a scam. Scammers will pretend to be a government agency or a utility company or someone else you might do business with. A big red flag is if they tell you that you can pay them using gift cards. So when in doubt, ask for the information to be sent to you in writing. And never give a caller or someone you don't know your personal information or your money. If you do suspect an imposter scam, report it to my office at mi.gov slash agcomplaints. Okay, all right. And Dina, where do I file a complaint that my daughter hasn't visited in over a month? Does your office have a website for that? Okay, Mom, I'm hanging up now. I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection. Hi, this is Deb Cherry, Genesee County Treasurer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Radio Show. More with award-winning young adult novelist Riley Redgate straight ahead. Now, this is your fourth novel, or your fourth mm-hmm. young adult novel. Um, do you like writing for that age group? Do you feel like you relate yeah. more to... Um, stories that involve younger people? Um, uh, in terms of my personally relating to the, the people in the books and, and kind of the subject matter, I, I would say I'm at a point in my life where I, I you know, I'm not really uh, 
writing because of personal affiliation. I, I started drafting my very first book, Seven Ways We Lie, when I was a senior in high school. So at that point, I was very much writing because it was, you know, I heard the, the old archaism, write what you know. Um, and I was like, cool, this is what I know. I'm going to write about, about teenagers. <laughs> oh, that old um, chestnut. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, yeah, I think that kind of carried me through the first few books, for sure. Um, I had, I think, finished writing my third book, Final Draft, um, just out of college, so it still felt very much of my life to kind of glance back and and see kind of the young adult age group. Um, at this point in my life, I am not reading as much YA, um, and I am writing kind of a bit more across the board behind the scenes. Um, so, yeah, it's I do really like the genre. I think it um, is accessible, and it's approachable, and it's immediate um, in a way that I find appealing. Um, I really like commercial fiction of all stripes, and obviously most uh, YA is is pretty commercial, although, you know, there are literary titles that kind of get overlooked in, in the genre. Um, but yeah, I think there's also like an enthusiasm uh, in the space, which is exciting because, you know, you're writing for teenagers who I think are such a wonderful reading audience. I think there was no time in my life when I felt more immersed in a novel than I did when I was reading as a teenager and everything you know, read as heightened and everything read as, um, you know, basically being uh, put directly into my veins. That was my experience as a, as a teenage reader. And um, I think that kind of feeling of excitement is still, you know, you can still see that in, in the genre at large. Now, if I, if I read correctly, you, um, you, interned at the onion did you write for them as well mm -hmm. yeah yeah so the uh the onion apprenticeship um that i did in 2017 was a it was kind of a six-month program um and that apprenticeship entails um largely short-form writing um so you'll do one-liners you'll do headlines you'll do jokes that are pretty much like one-line responses to to prompts um and i did some video writing as well um, so, yeah, we... How, how was that? Did not, oh, go ahead. How, how, was, how was it writing authentic fake news? <laughs> it was the best. <laughs> it, was, it was great. It was a wonderful time. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, you can probably assume uh, how quick and smart and funny the, the staff are, um, Everyone I met there was wonderful. Um, yeah, it's it's pretty strange to be asked to go into work every day and um, make up very, um, <laughs> I don't know, um, make up kind of either jokey or more like seriously satirical takes on, on whatever is happening that day. Um, I don't think I will ever have another job quite like that, um, but it was a blast. Well, you know, when you're writing, especially, uh, you know, freestanding novels, you have a lot of freedom. How, mm. how important is humor in telling a story? Oh, wow. I, 
<laughs> I think it's I think it's an underrated aspect of literature, first of all. I think a lot of people associate high literature with being, you know, humorless and dour um, and examining um, kind of the darker parts of life. And um, I think, like, comic novels are so valuable and create kind of this cultural interconnectivity. People like to laugh. People like to feel good. And also, like, even in... um, kind of dire circumstances, I think adding some humor and occasional moments of levity to a book can can really help the reader make it through it so that it isn't just sitting through something that's kind of monotonal. Um, obviously, I think humor manifests differently to every person. Um, and, you know, it's people always say it's the most subjective, subjective thing out there. Um, but yeah, I think having an element of humor in pretty much every project should essentially be seen as a prerequisite. Prerequisite. I can't really think of a you know, it's funny a completely um, humorless book of life. Well, Riley, it's funny you mentioned that that some literature is kind of dour, and I get the impression I love mysteries, and I'm a huge fan of the original Sherlock Holmes series. Mm-hmm. And whenever I come across something in one of those stories that seems a little quirky, a little funny, a little humorous, I'm almost certain that Sir Arthur Conan Doyle did it by accident. <laughs> do, do you know what I mean? Because he has sort of that 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 serious academic approach. Mm-hmm. And, right. and so right. it's kind of like... Oops, <laughs> Arthur Conan Doyle actually accidentally made a little joke there. Um, you love to see it. I feel the same way about Lovecraft. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, there you go. Yeah. Um, when you're writing uh, a story, uh, actually when you're creating a story, because the two things are a little bit different, um, What comes first? I ask a lot of writers this. What comes first? Do you Mm. come up with a batch of characters and then craft Mm. a story of things that would happen to them? Or is it the other way Mm. around? Do you have a story and then cast it with characters like a movie? Uh, For me, it it varies immensely between projects. So, um, for instance... um, Alone Out Here, um, my, my current book came from more of an overarching idea of people, you know, kids trapped together on, on a spaceship um, and the kind of psychological fallout that that would have on them. Um, but I'm working on um, a fantasy book right now that uh, came from like a character germ, like a what if there were this type of person who, um, you know, existed in this type of society, um, and what would that person look like on the inside? Um, I think, yeah, there's, there's no one pattern. Um, sometimes it'll be almost kind of a voice thing where I'll start writing and, and someone will sort of jump off of the page at me. Um, and, Sometimes it'll be more of a, a pre-planned, um, I guess, plot-based way in. Um, so, yeah, there's unfortunately no unifying approach for me there. 
Are you able to write full-time? Um, I did for a little while. Currently, I, um, I am teaching piano part-time, which I really enjoy. Um, I, I like having something else going um, to create a little bit of structure in my week and, and my day. Um, I, I think I wrote full-time after leaving The Onion for, um, that would have been two or three years. Um, and that was also wonderful in its way because high amounts of flexibility. Um, but yeah, I, I will say there is a little bit of a social aspect that I miss when I'm in the writing cave full time. Um, Oh, when you talk about the writing cave, um, I'm always fascinated (laughs) by the creative process. Are you pretty disciplined? Do you outline everything ahead of time and sit down at a certain time mm. every day and and <laughs> you know have a, have a certain goal you're going to reach so many pages so many words Ooh. I I certainly don't always outline everything ahead of time I will generally know the ending of a project before going in um, but in terms of the other forms of discipline I don't mm, I am not rigidly structured in terms of asking for a certain amount of words. Um, I think, um, and, I, and I definitely don't write at certain times of day exclusively, um, and I don't really have a particular place that I tend to stick to when I have, you know, work on my laptop. Um, so all of that is pretty freeform. I do think that in order to reach the end of a project, there needs to be a certain level of, okay, you know, even if you're not feeling it today, you have to sit down and do it. And maybe it'll be not great the first time out, but that's what the editing process is for. And you do ultimately have to have a first draft in order to refine it. So in terms of just putting the words on the page, there is a, that I think is, you can't leave that up to the winds of the news or whatever, because, you know, that's not always going to be reliable. I want to to share with you something I've shared with a lot of writers. Uh, One of my favorite quotes from an interview with Stephen King. Unfortunately, it was not one of mine, but uh, someone (laughs) asked him if he if he wrote to a schedule or to the muse, and he said, oh, always to the muse. But fortunately, the muse shows up every morning at 9 (laughs) o'clock. Oh, that's great. <laughs> I thought you'd get a kick out of that. But 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 it also speaks to that that feeling that, that you shared about, well, I may not be into it today, but I have to do something. Yes, right, exactly. I do like to keep maybe multiple projects of varying tones in the spinner at a time so that if, you know, if I really am not feeling um, up to writing something that's potentially darker or more upsetting, then maybe there's something with a lighter tone that I'll also be working on. Um, yeah. What is it, why is it that science fiction so often seems to deal with the impending, occurring, or recently occurred end of the world? Yeah, apocalypse fiction is certainly in its heyday. I think, um, you know, this is kind of an idea that I was actually just reading about in another sort of apocalyptic tangential book, which is 
Emily St. John Mandel's new book, Sea of Tranquility. But I, I do think that there's a sense in which people are sort of always driven to feel as if things are maybe the worst that they've ever been and that there is something on the way that is dreadful in, in a way that has not been precedented throughout history. And um, I kind of have to wonder how much of that is um, kind of a manufactured idea of the current day and age's importance, um, like the idea that um, the implications of what we're living through are more serious than anything before, um, the, the feeling that, um, you know, we live in the day of greatest consequence. I think there's something in that, that idea that scratches like an appealing itch to people um, that we're not just living in any old time. We're living in the time. We're living in the most important time. Um, well, and doomers, that, doomers yeah. certainly have a much bigger microphone now than they ever have had in history. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes. The uh, the click ratio online, the ever important click ratio, really makes that uh, important. Of course, I think um, at the same time, it's it's difficult because as much attention as doomism gets, um, are we seeing the like consequences in? policy of like the very real evidence that that climate change is going to bring about catastrophic effects we aren't seeing those those changes um in in policy and government so i think that's probably also a a component of it is this sensation of cultural helplessness like no matter how much we talk about it no matter how much we write about it where are the where are the measurable effects that we can see and appreciate um, they haven't shown up yet, so I think people feel almost a social responsibility as well, at least in the case of climate, to continue talking about it because otherwise, you know, we can't let it fall out of the social consciousness. I guess. Um, you know, I'm I'm curious about something. You've written four young adult novels. This one happens to mm-hmm. be a science fiction novel, Alone Out Here, the newest one. Mm-hmm. You you sort of hinted, Riley, that your next book might be high fantasy fiction. In <laughs> in in the life of your career, is this the phase where you're genre experimenting? Oh, <laughs> I don't know about that. I I honestly saw so my first three books were with a publisher called Abrams, um, and kind of after my my first book, which was a very grounded coming-of-age contemporary came out, um, I suggested a bunch of ideas to them for, for book two. Um, and among them, um, it was sort of a, a lot of those ideas were speculative, but um, the, the, um, the hope was that at least for a little while, I would continue to write contemporary projects. Um, and, you know, I have a lot of ideas across many genres, and so I was happy to do that um, for books two and three, which are also more kind of coming of age um, but I would say that the majority of my my ideas have have been speculative um, kind of over the course of my life I've always been a fantasy lover I love science fiction um, so I think um, it's do you <laughs> ever see yourself Riley be a phase Riley do you, do you ever see yourself settling into a genre or perhaps developing mm-hmm. a series oh I would really like to do a series at some point. There's one, there's a series opener that I've been um, 
kind of tooling and retooling and retooling for you, the past. You've, guess, got, you've got an origin story. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I I don't know. It's it's intimidating to me the idea of putting out books serially and then not being able to go back and you know you reach book three and what if you then realized something would have been better if you had changed X element in book one? That to me is very frightening. Um, but. Yeah, it would still be fun. Be I, fun I asked time. somebody who wrote, who had been writing a series for years and years and years with, you know, do- mm-hmm. dozens of parts. And I asked him, I said, when you get to book 15, how do you yeah. remember what happened in book six? <laughs> <laughs> and she literally said, I have a staff. <laughs> Oh my gosh! <laughs> and I thought that was so yes. funny, you know. But but that's actually part of the process. The longer you live mm-hmm. with a series, the more you have to go back and revisit it to you know to to right. keep it. Um, what what would be the word um, to to deal with continuity <laughs> issues? Yeah, right, right, right. Yeah. Oh my gosh, the amount of the amount of accumulation involved in series of that length is fascinating to me like the the book bible must be so intense um, there was um uh mary higgins clark before she passed away was on my show several times mm-hmm. and she uh, always pointed to the fact that her son did all her typing and all of that because she said <laughs> she wasn't very good with technology yet t- technology shows up in some of her stories and i asked her i said right. how do you deal with that and she said i got a guy <laughs> <laughs> so i and i don't know if you're That's at the point. point where when you're researching for your books if you have some of these go-to people that other writers have developed mm. over their careers but uh, <laughs> I, I I I suspect it's in your future. Um, <laughs> I am lucky that my my parents are doctors, and so the um, if there's anything medical that I need to look up, I can simply ask them ah. um, instead of yeah instead of relying on the all powerful Google for it. Experts um, in the family. That's always good. Right. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, before we run out of time, which is coming up in just a couple of minutes, and I'm having so much fun talking mm. with you, Riley. I feel like we could go on for an hour. But, yeah, this is great. Um, but I always want guests to have an opportunity to let listeners know where they can find out more about you and your work, past, present, and right. future. Do you have a website you can share? I do, absolutely. It's RileyRedgate.com. Um, I, as I say that, I'm realizing that I need to update it with more information about Alone Out Here um, because I keep it updated myself and uh, things have been hectic over here. Well, um, Riley, don't feel Instagram too bad about that. Riley Redgate. Don't feel too bad about that because I always <laughs> ask that question of guests and it's at least half the time that the answer is <laughs> I have one that's under construction. <laughs> right, right. Oh so, my gosh, it's because we're doing the constructing ourselves. That's the reason. Well, um, but also, uh, you know, I think 
you have to have time to do the work, and sometimes it's hard to take yeah. care of some of the administrative things. But I'm mm. glad you were mm -hmm. at least able to carve out a little time to talk with me and the listeners today. It's been oh, a real delight. Oh, it's been delight. great. Thank you so much for taking the time. Okay, well, Riley, uh, you take care and keep up the good work. All right, thank you. Bye, Tom. Bye-bye. That was Riley Redgate, and that's her nom de plume, under which uh, she has written four young adult novels, including the latest, which is a sci-fi novel called Alone Out Here. And an interesting story. It's it's uh, the, the Earth is coming to an end in the year 2072, and the children of a bunch of world leaders, um, because of a mishap, end up taking one of the crafts designed to take humanity to a new planet um, they they end up taking off because the the end comes early and they end up being a bunch of kids uh, basically lost in space in uh, the merry mix-ups that ensue the book is called alone out here and the author is riley redgate we'll have more of the tom sumner program now, when a virus comes along that's spreading like a plague And POTUS and his lackeys have been nothing if not vague Well then you've got to trust the CDC and listen well Unless you want to bid our free society farewell There is a Super bad, transmittable, contagious, awful virus. And if we don't act quick and social distance, it will mire us. In a stretch of quarantine that lasts until July, a super bad, transmittable, contagious, awful virus. And if you got a better cough in your arm, and if you got a better... <coughs> now back in 1918, influenza had its run. But half the docks were busy overseas with World War I. Today we have mass media and scientists to say, if you don't want this virus, well then stay six feet away. Super damn important that we practice isolation, because we're asymptomatic while it's an incubation. We'll overwhelm our hospitals if there's not mitigation. It's super damn important that we practice isolation. If we don't do it, then we're all gonna die. If we don't do it, then we're all gonna die. And so I hope at last you'll take this lesson here to heart. Cause it's already scary and we're only at the start. If you get bored, just think of the immunocompromised. Who can't go much of anywhere unless it's sterilized. Oh, super bad, transmittable, contagious, awful virus. If we don't act quick and social distance, it will mire us. In a stretch of quarantine, the last until July. A super bad, transmittable, Super bad, transmittable, contagious, awful virus. Super bad, transmittable, contagious, awful virus. Hello there, citizens. Darkwing Duck here. And every time I'm in Flint fighting crime, I always stop by the Tom Sumner program. Don't forget, stay dangerous. Darkwing Duck out. East Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint. With support from grants, donations, and advertisers, East Village Magazine's talented local writers give you an in-depth look at local news, issues, and people that make Flint, Flint. Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported. 
Imagine a journey down a picturesque riverway. Imagine your Flint River, 142 miles of recreation, natural beauty, and precious resources. The Flint River is a vital resource that is available for all to use and enjoy. The river and its ecosystem provide unlimited recreational opportunities and natural beauty while supporting wildlife in a vibrant landscape. We all have a responsibility to protect and preserve this precious resource. Learn more at FlintRiver.org or call the Flint River Watershed Coalition at 810-767-6490. The Tom Sumner Program plays host to the best political roundtable on radio every Wednesday from 10 a.m. to noon. Armchair Politics features great commentary and analysis about the headlines from local, state, and national politics with an alumni of world-class pundits, plus quotes, tweets, and those weird and wacky stories we call the X-Files. If it's Wednesday, catch Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. Cloth or disposable? Paint or wallpaper? Yellow or green? Babies come with lots of decisions. Crib or bassinet? Rocker or glider? So when it comes to protection against diseases, go with the safest, most effective choice. Vaccination. To protect your child against 14 serious childhood diseases like measles, meningitis, and whooping cough. That's why nearly all parents choose it. Stroller or carriage, basketball, or soccer. So get all the recommended vaccinations for your baby by age two. For more reasons to vaccinate, talk to your child's doctor. Go to cdc.gov vaccines or call 800-CDC-INFO. Justin or Justine. Immunizations help give you the power to protect your baby. A message from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Why are we stopping? We're going to be late for the show. Mom, Dad, we got to get gas. Not here, you're not. This place is charging an arm and a leg. Look, these days, price swings of 30 or 40 cents per gallon aren't unusual. But when a gas station charges a price way above the price at similar stations, that could be gas gouging. Michigan gas stations sell the correct quality and quantity of gas most of the time. But when a station does try to illegally take advantage of drivers, my office is here to stop them. Stop Attorney General and we got a concert to get to! I hope she doesn't sit next to us. Narc. This is Attorney General Dana Nessel. If you have information about potential gas gouging, call my office or go online at michigan.gov slash ag. Put those away, we're at a gas station. This is U.S. Senator Gary Peters, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Where are we going, Dr. Zarkov? Aaron and I discovered a room under the hall of atomic power, which stored scientific apparatus. With the help of slaves, we constructed my newest invention, didn't we, Baron? Yes, we did, friend Zarkov. I only hope this bull-headed monarch hasn't delayed us too long with his arguing. There isn't much time left to save the city. We are tipping over. How much further do we have to descend? 
We will be below the foundation in just a moment. What is this remarkable discovery, Wizard of the Earth? You shall see. You shall see. We are here. Hurry out, everyone. Hold fast to my hand, Dale. Oh, Flash, do you think Dr. Zarkov will be able to save us? I know he will do his best. There is my invention. What is that massive tubes and wires? This electrical machine is an atomic light solidifier. It'll strengthen the beam? Yes. Keep everybody back, Baron. I must have room to work. Stand back, everybody. Baron, do you think this machine will work? Be quiet. Professor Zarkov is throwing the switch. What is that weird bluish light? New rays made from the Adamsdale. Why, the city seems to be getting back on an even keel. By Pao, so it is. How is it working, friend Zarkov? Splendid so far. The light beams supporting the city are becoming stronger and stronger. Then the city is saved? The city is saved. By Pao, he has done it. All of you are free. Why, Dale, you're crying. I'm so happy we're saved. Zarkov, come here. He said he could do it, and he did. Yes, King Voltan, you summoned me? Zarkov, you shall be my head scientist. Voltan, this is more than I expect. I am grateful, deeply grateful, and appreciate the honor. Flash and Dale. Yes, impressive majesty. What is it, King Voltan? As proof of our future friendship, I shall give you a royal wedding tomorrow, and tonight we shall have a banquet to celebrate it. Are you having a good time, Dale? A wonderful time, Flash. It hardly seems possible that we shall be married tomorrow. I don't dare believe it until we are actually being married. Now, you mustn't feel that way, Dale. It's just nerve. Well, my friends, tomorrow will be the big day. I'm not so sure. Dale is just worrying about nothing, Baron. Hmm, it's almost tomorrow, Dale. What can happen now? During the excitement of the certain destruction of the city, the Princess Aura disappeared. Oh, is that all that worries you? I should think you would be glad she is not here. I am. Well, well, lovebirds, are you enjoying yourselves? Oh, yes, thank you, impressive majesty. Majesty? Majesty? Yes, what is it? The airship of Ming the Merciless is approaching the city. This means trouble. What did I tell you? There will be no wedding for us tomorrow. We will die fighting. No, Voltan. Let us take our chances on escaping. Give us a rocket ship. It's no use, Flash. They were damaged when the city tilted. His Universal Majesty, Emperor of Mongo, Ming the Merciless. And Princess Aura. Now there will be trouble. Steady, Dale, darling. There will be a way out of this. Greetings and welcome, Emperor Ming. So, Voltan, you have become friends with the prisoners. Turn over this Earthman to my torturers. And to me, delivered my promised bride, Dale Arden. I command it. No, Father. You promised Flash Gordon to me as my share of the spoils. Hold, Ming. By the ancient laws of Mongo, by the sacred laws of the great Pau, who is all wise, I call for a tournament of death. A tournament? And this fellow Flash Gordon would enter? Yes. A tournament. Then all the planet would see him fail and die. So be it. 
Between four mountains nestled a massive bowl-shaped arena toward which most of Mongo pulls the never-ending streams to the tournament of death in which all of the contestants but one will meet death. And Flash Gordon is going to enter. He and Dale occupy seats of honor in Volton's box. Princess Aura enters the arena on a golden throne carried by six blue dragon men. Here comes Aura in all her glory. She is vile, treacherous, and cruel. Ha <laughs> ha That, my boy, is a beauty. Oh, I don't know about that. Here comes Drewbridge, king of the lion men. The dragon men are frightened by the lions. They've dropped the princess. Ah, stay where you are, my boy. Prince Baron is already picking her up. She seems to be smiling at him. I wonder what she's saying. Prince Baron, you've saved my life. Why did you do it after the way I treated you? Because, my princess, you are a woman. A beautiful woman. And I can no longer deny the fact that I love you. But whatever it is she's saying, I wish she would get interested in somebody else and leave you alone, Flash. The tournament is about to begin, Flash. There is your horse. Here, take this sword, my boy. It's the one with which I became King of the Hawkmen. Take it and justify my faith in you. And my faith, too. Thanks, darling. And thank you, Volton. I will do my best. In another box, Prince Baron reaches a decision. Zarkov, I am going to enter the tournament and win back my kingdom and Ming's daughter, Princess Aura, for my bride. Do not be a fool, Prince Baron. Why do you risk being killed? Wish me luck, my friend. I go to do battle. It is a battle royale with every horseman for himself. As the battle rages around him, Flash is beset by two yellow guardsmen. He vanquishes one, and as he is attacked by the other, he falls from his horse. Before the yellow man can drive home a death and thrust, a masked rider saves Flash, and the first great test of the tournament of death ends. A banquet is held for the survivors. Are you sure you're all right, Flash? Why, of course, Dale. If it hadn't been for that masked fighter, you would be dead now. Oh, why did you enter this horrible tournament? To win freedom, a kingdom, and what's more important, you. My dear. Look, the masked fighter is with Princess Aura. Ah, the masked champion. Are you a criminal fearing arrest, or a noble fearing recognition? Blue blood. Or red, my lady, it will flow in the arena just as freely for your amusement. Here, wear this scarf as a token, but do not stain it with your blood. Fair lady, a kiss from your gorgeous lips, and I would face the legions of Pau. Insolent one! <laughs> I would have you tortured. You cannot punish the living dead of the tournament. Goodbye, you beautiful devil. I go to fight for your hand. That masked champion, I swear I know his voice. The call has sounded. I must go back to the fight. Goodbye, Dale. Goodbye, and good luck, my darling. Oh, King Voltan, when will this awful tournament end? I know it seems horrible to you, little bird, but it is better that Flash should die honorably in the field of battle than at the hands of Ming's torturers. If he wins this final event, he will be a king, and you will be his queen. 
The trumpets blow and the last contestants line up. Two by two, they mount the sky rope stretched over a flaming pool to joust with swords, and one after another, they are eliminated by death. Finally, only Flash Gordon and the masked champion are left. Flash loses his balance and falls down toward the flaming pool, but his hand catches hold of the rope and he hangs on. The masked champion, thrown off balance, all but falls, but saves himself by grasping Flash Gordon's legs. His mask falls off, revealing Prince Baron. The crowd demands that both men shall live, and they are brought before Vulton and Ming the Merciless. None of your trickery, Ming. You will proclaim them both kings. So be it. But I shall choose their kingdoms. To Prince Baron and my daughter, Aura, I give the kingdom of the forest. To Flash Gordon and the Earth Girl, I give the kingdom of the caves. You fiend! You know neither kingdom has been conquered. True, Voltan. But these are brave men. Let them try. They can hold their weddings in their own kingdoms. If they live that long... This concludes our recreation of the first four episodes of the 1935 radio serial Flash Gordon. This series was recorded in the Tom Sumner Program studio featuring the voice of Sean Cantwell as Flash Gordon and Volton. Rhonda Groves Young played Dale Arden and Princess Aura. Randy Zimmerman played Zarkoff and Thun. Prince Baron was played by Dane Walling. Listen for more adaptations of old-fashioned radio for a new generation. This is Tom Sumner saying thanks for listening. Alexander Zanjic, don't touch that dial. You're listening to Tom Sumner. The Tom 